verse 23. Just as you're finding your place in Hebrews near the end of the Bible, it's always a good reminder, even though we know this, a reminder that, that God has spoken to us through His prophets and apostles, that through the inspiration of His Holy Spirit, He has recorded for us His Word. And so that is what we are doing now as we open the words that He has preserved for us. And it's nothing short of miraculous that we have this book before us. Would you please stand? Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 to 3, and then verse 23. The Word of God. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Verse 23, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw that the child was beautiful. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this example of faith in the parents of Moses. And we all know something of Moses and what You have done through him. And without his parents, without their faith, without their courage, without the risk that they took, without the investment that they put into their son, Moses would not have been raised up as your deliverer, the giver of the law, a forerunner to the Messiah. And so we thank you for their faithfulness, a a gift that you have given to them or had given to them that they might play their part in your redemptive story. And now, Lord, I pray for all of us that, that we, by faith, would play our part. I pause especially to pray for parents and grandparents, and friends of parents. Lord, there are countless heartaches in this small congregation because of parenthood. There are challenges, disappointments, tragedies, I pray that You would comfort us this morning specific to our own needs by Your Holy Spirit and help us to endure by faith. Lord, I also thank You that uh, there are many parents here who have celebrated great joys great wonderful fulfillments of of hopes and dreams because you have seen fit to pour out blessings through our parenthood and for those we want to rejoice together and give you all the praise and the honor and the glory and lord would we walk with one another through through the valleys and the mountains through the difficult times and the times of celebration that we together would be 
one family under God who takes parenthood seriously and help us to do it by faith, whatever may come. Glorify Yourself this morning. Instruct us in the way that we should go. In Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I've said this before, but as I get older, I I increasingly realize that life is hard. Uh, Life is much harder than I thought it would be, and my life is not that hard. So when I think about the billions of people around the world and every one of us making our best effort to live the life that God has given us, whether we would think of it in those terms or not, uh, and then I just look at, at this congregation and by God's grace, I've been involved in many of your lives and, and you've been involved in one another's lives. So, so we know, don't we, the, the joys and the trials of life. And so many of the joys, perhaps there's no sweeter joy than the joy of a mother or a father if there's an occasion to rejoice. And on the other side, there's, there's no deeper valley to walk through than the suffering that, that our children might give to us or bring to us. Of all the things about life that make life hard, parenting has to be near the top. And we're going to look at some of the challenges of parenting today, but I've also already alluded to the great joys. So don't think that parenting is always just the the drudgery of life. Of course, there are those great wonderful times where we just celebrate the family that God has given us, and, and, and those are times that we ought not to take for granted. The good times. Rejoice in the good times. And and so we acknowledge that there are good times, but where we really need God to meet us is in the difficult times. And then we need to be mindful of God in the good times. Parenting, whether it be parenting of newborn children, staying up through the night, or toddlers where they're finally realizing that they're their own person, or perhaps it's it's... a little bit older in childhood and all of the challenges that come with that, if there are not the additional challenges of health, whether it be physical, mental, emotional health, or maybe it's teenage rebellion, or adult children who have decided that they have rejected your faith, they have rejected the Jesus that you love, and you have to watch them as they leave your home and they say, we don't want anything to do with the faith that you raised us in. Or maybe it's parenting adult children who are parenting children themselves, and you see the struggles that they're going through. And it breaks your heart to see how difficult it is for them. And it, it wearies your soul and it wearies your mind and your body as they call on you to come alongside them to help. To give of your time and your energy and your wisdom and your expertise. Or maybe it's the pain of of being shut out of your grandparents' uh, life or grandchildren's life. That your children don't want you in their children's lives. Parenting is hard. All ages all generations through all kinds of circumstances. It's filled with hopes and dreams. Uh, Perhaps there are some of you who are not yet parents. I think of Tyler and Emily. I I know that you hope to be parents. So so right now, parenting for you is just, it's a hope. It's a dream. It's it's something to look forward to. And and you're not alone. 
in this. And the challenges have not yet come. It's just something to be longed for, to be prayed for. Then there's worries and fears. Triumph and tragedy. What's your experience in parenting? Where are you in, in your journey of parenting? What are your joys? What are your heartaches? In our context, I think we can all agree that the world is increasingly becoming a hostile place to raise children. Parenting is becoming more and more difficult. We, I, I think of Romans 1 when I, I look at Canada, North America, the West, as God is just stepping back from us more and more. He's just giving us over to the sinful lusts of the flesh and the depravity of our minds. And, and we live in a society where God is pouring out His wrath by, by withholding His common grace, by withholding His saving grace. And that's the context in which we are raising our children. This, that is the context in which we're trying to bring up another generation, hopefully, of men and women who love the Lord, who, who believe in Jesus Christ, who, who lay their sins in His body on the cross. And yet more and more the world says that's foolish and our children are listening. More and more. But the world has always been a hostile place to raise children. In fact, deciding to become a parent is the most defiant thing that we can do in the world. To say to, to the enemy, to say to Satan, you can't have us and you can't have our children and we are going to parent by faith. Because it would be so much easier to say the world is not a safe place. So we forego the next generation. But God, from the very first generation, has said, bring forth children. And if you can't bring forth children in your own body, then help someone else to bring forth their children or adopt a child or foster a child, but be parents. You don't have to be parents over your own biological children. You don't even need to adopt, but be parents in the church helping parents to parent. Be parents. Be shepherds of the next generation. So if you think that, well, I'm not a parent, so this, this message has nothing for me, think again. God has called all of us to come alongside mothers and fathers, to, to, to be a generation of Christians who help to bring the next generation into the church. And the world has always been a hostile place. We're told in... Hebrews 11, verse 23, it was by faith that Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. Why? Because the world was a hostile place to bring forth children when Moses was born. In some ways, more hostile than our world, perhaps in many ways. So, because Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, was afraid of the strength of the Hebrew slaves, he commanded that all male children would be thrown into the Nile to be killed. But by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months because they saw that the child was beautiful. So they were not afraid 
of the king's edict. The writer of Hebrews tells us several important things in this one very short verse. One, Moses' parents possessed faith. That, that Moses' parents did what they did because of faith. And we're not, we're not really told exactly what that was, but the edict had gone out, right? That, that to have a child was to be a death sentence if that child proved to be a male child. And yet they had a child. So their faith might go back before the conception that they were not going to allow uh, this foreign king over them to stop them from bringing children into the world. Now they may not have planned for Moses' birth, or they may have. We don't know. But, but they defied the edict just by conceiving the child. By faith. We're also told here that Moses' parents loved their son. They, they beheld their son and they, they said, perhaps subjectively, this is a beautiful child. I don't think that that means that, that he was particularly handsome any more than any other child. But they, they had love and affection for their son. Together, this faith in their God and their love for their child was the foundation of their courage. And parenting today requires courage. We need to have courage as parents to to raise children against the the grain of our culture, against the norms of our society, to say that we're going to do this a little bit differently than the government wants us to do it. We're going to do it differently than our brothers and sisters and cousins and aunts and uncles and maybe even our parents want us to do it. We're going to do this according to the Word of God and according to the faith that we have inherited from our forefathers in the faith. It takes courage. Where do we get that courage faith in God love for our children this faith and love fueled courage in Moses parents so that they defied Pharaoh so the pattern that we are to emulate that the writer of Hebrews sets forward for us and we're going to Add to this, but the the foundational pattern that we are to follow as parents in this world is that faith and love lead to courage, and courage leads to action in spite of risk. Faith and love leads to courage, and this courage leads to action in spite of risk. Now, the risk that we face is not yet the risk that Moses' parents face. We don't risk the government coming into our homes and, and, and declaring that this child is not fit for life and that this child must be executed. We are not yet at that place. And God willing, we will never be at that place. Nevertheless, we, we need courage to parent according to the Word of God. And so it's faith in God, love for our children, that gives us the courage to defy the cultural norms in which we live to raise our children in the faith. In spite of the risks to ourselves, perhaps our reputation, perhaps friendships, neighborly friendships, perhaps a place in the community in which we live. Risk to our children, being ostracized on the playground, being made fun of being told that that they are strange or weird or not accepted. We we face those risks because of the faith we have in God and the love we have for our children. 
Let us go back and take a, a little bit closer look at what happened with Moses in his early days. Go back to Exodus chapter 2. We're going to take a look at this pattern and then we're going to add to it. Exodus chapter 2. This is the passage that the writer of Hebrews is thinking about when he puts forward Moses' parents as an example of faith for you and for me. Exodus chapter 2, second book of the Bible, second chapter, verses 1 to 10. Now there was a man from the house of Levi, and he went and he took as his wife a Levite woman. Both these individuals are slaves in Egypt. Context tells us that Pharaoh has said that any male children must be killed. Nevertheless, verse 2, the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, a beautiful child, she hid him for three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes. She daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it, placed it among the reeds by the river bank. And the child's sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds, So she sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. And she took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. He should die. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away, nurse him for me, and I'll pay you and give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And when the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, because she said, I drew him out of water. It's a familiar passage. And there's really no mention of Moses' father. It's just implicit, his role in all of this. A couple of observations. We don't have time to really look at every aspect of this, this powerful passage of Scripture. But returning to this idea of, of Moses being a beautiful child, it's what we're told in, in Hebrews 11, or a fine child as it's recorded here in the Hebrew. What does this mean? We suggested earlier that this means that Moses' mother loved her child. It's a subjective evaluation that, that Moses' parents looked at the child and they said, this is a beautiful child, a fine child. And so it's, it's that maternal and paternal instinct, that, that natural uh, affection and parent, parenthood love toward their child. It may be more than this, 
In Acts 7 verse 20, it's suggested that Moses was beautiful in God's sight. And so there may be the implication that by faith, Moses' parents looked at the child and they said that this child is beautiful to God. Think that that, you know, do we really need to choose between the two? And, And the point is that every child is beautiful to God. There's no expendable children. Now, we know more of Moses' biography, right? We know that he, he grows up to be the great deliverer. I don't think we need to import that into, uh, into Moses' parents' understanding at this point. They just recognize that this is a beautiful child that they love. This is a beautiful child that God loved. So she hid him three months, and this was a great risk. If, if they had been found out, and you, have you ever tried to hide a child? Come to church with a child sometime. It's not easy to hide a child. And they didn't have insulated houses. It's very difficult to hide a child, which means he must have been some fine child. Probably didn't cry, slept all the time. Not true, obviously. But they took a great risk, and they did this because, because of their faith in God and their love for the child. Uh, last week when we were at the Together for the Gospel, Kevin DeYoung preached on these verses. And I would just commend to you his sermon. I'm not going to redo his sermon. I'm going to say a couple of points of what he brought out just sort of as a side note. But go online and, and listen to his. It's a very short 20-minute exposition of this passage. And he just said, have you ever noticed the role of women in these 10 verses? Women are everywhere. Right? You have Moses' mother, you have Moses' sister, and then you have the daughter of Pharaoh, and you have the servant girls. And if you go up above this, you have the two midwives who are doing their thing. And God is preserving Moses' life through the work of women. I want to read to you what Rabbi Jonathan Sachs says about this, about the role of women in Moses' life. Now this, this man, as far as I know, doesn't believe in Jesus. He's a Jewish rabbi, so we disagree on a lot of things in interpreting the book of Exodus. But on this, we agree. And what he says is very powerful. So I want to read it to you. This is from Jonathan Sachs. One feature of Moses' early life should not be overlooked. Though he is the central figure in the drama of the Exodus, there is a striking emphasis on the role of women, particularly six women, without whom there would not have been a Moses. There's Yochaved, Moses' mother, who had the courage to have the child at a time when all male Israel children faced death. There's Miriam, Moses' sister, who followed his fate and ensured that he knew who his people were. So followed him down the Nile, but then also helped Moses to understand who he was when he was grown up. Instrumental in connecting Moses with the Hebrew people. Then there are Shifra and Puah, the two midwives who defy Pharaoh's decree of genocide. There's Zipporah, Moses' Midianite wife, who accompanied him on this mission and at one stage saved his life. And most remarkably, there's Pharaoh's daughter who rescues Moses and adopts him, knowing that in doing so, she is acting in contravention of her father's will. These are six stories of outstanding moral courage. And they are all about women, at least two of whom, Zipporah and Pharaoh's daughter, are not even Israelites. The identity of the midwives is less uncertain. Perhaps they are also not Israelites. 
It is the women who recognize the sanctity of life and refuse to obey orders that desecrate life. It is women who, fearing God, are fearless in the face of human evil. It is the women who have compassion and justice without compassion is not justice. It is as if the Torah were telling us that Moses, the supreme embodiment of the passion for justice, is not enough. There must be, in Carol Gilligan's phrase, a different voice. The voice of empathy, sympathy, attachment. All the values that make us human. And if we are to create a society in which justice has a human face. I love this powerful. The role of women in the life of Moses, but also as the bedrock of human society, as as the foundation of family life. And and we live in a society, if you want to take a risk, if you want to parent with, with courage because of faith in God and love for your children, just try to be a biblical woman. Because our society, our culture says that that is not valuable. Our society says that a woman must become a man in order to be valuable. But, but what these women in Moses' early life and all through his life show us, and I hope speak to you women very powerfully, is that God knew what He was doing when He created humanity, male and female. When He called men to do certain things and women to do certain things, God knew what He was doing and how dare we undermine the call that God has given to women. What would have happened to Moses? And by implication, what would have happened to Israel without these women? So let's just pause for a moment to think about motherhood specifically. Motherhood can seem so menial, and day-to-day it is. Changing diapers. Feeding children that don't want to eat. Discipline. Discipleship. And doing all of this on less than normal sleep. Doing it when when your children definitely don't um, respect what you're doing or understand or value the sacrifice that you're making in their life. Perhaps husbands that don't nearly enough recognize what you're doing and affirm you and thank you and value you. And it, it seems like you're not changing the world. It seems like, like the hopes and the dreams that you had for your life before you were married and had children have been dashed to pieces. And what you're doing now is, is less than what you had hoped you would be doing. And the world tells you that that's the case. But the old proverb that the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world could never be more true. Kevin DeYoung, in the conclusion of what he had said, and I please listen to it because he's more elegant than I am, but he concluded, and this is a rough quotation from my memory, how he concluded, and he said, the question is not whether or not women are called to do something as important as men, but whether any man can do anything half as important as a mother. So mothers, whether you hope to be a mother, whether 
you have little children, grown-up children, grandchildren, whatever it is, wherever you are, mothers, have faith like Moses' mother that what you do for your children is important. It may seem mundane. It may seem trivial. It may seem unimportant in the day-to-day. And like I said, that's what our world will tell you. But it is crucially significant for your children, for the health of the church, and for the survival of our world. Whether your child becomes a farmer, a mechanic, the prime minister, a carpenter, a mother, a father, a sales associate, a merchant, a pastor, a missionary, an artist, an athlete, a bureaucrat, an electrician, a plumber, or whatever it is. Whatever your child becomes, have faith that your investment in their life and the discipleship that you give them in their formative years is of eternal significance. And being in charge of the largest economy in the world pales in comparison to investing in a child's life. And fathers, likewise, have faith that your role in the life of your children is greater than your job. It's more important than what you do for a living. It's more valuable than your hobby or pursuing your pleasures. And and tragically, and I'm not saying this about anyone in particular, but I think as as a group, men, as a group, we need to own this, that, that we're just not there the way God calls us to be there. That's not against any individual man, but as a group, as a group, where are the men? Where are the fathers? I put myself in that category. So as a group, don't take this personally offensively, but if the Holy Spirit is convicting you personally, then, then take that from the Holy Spirit. But as a group, so, so individually do the most that you can do, but then as a group, we need to be challenging one another. We need to be spurring one another along in, in fatherhood, in manhood, to, to be men, to value our wives, to value the women in the church, to empower and exalt. You know, Jesus submitted to the will of God the Father. And, and so he is the example for women in the home and in the church. Christ is your example, women. But what did the Father do? Because of the submission of the Son, the Father highly exalted Him and gave Him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Husbands, do you exalt your wife in your family so that your children bow before her, not to worship her the way we worship Christ, but to call her blessed. Let us exalt the mothers of the church. Let's have nothing to do with the feminist agenda of the world that puts women down. 
Let's return to Hebrews 11, verse 23, and add to the pattern that we've identified. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. We've already identified the pattern here. Faith and love lead to courage. Courage leads to action in spite of risk. So now let's ask the question. We've said that very generically that Moses' parents had faith in God. Faith in God. That's good. But can we, can we fill it out a little bit more? What was their faith in God about? More specifically, were they aware that their son would be the deliverer of a great nation? Did they know that he would become a mighty prophet of the Lord? Did they know that Moses would become the founder of two great world religions? Did they know that he was to be the deliverer of slaves as a typological, as a picture, a forerunner of the Messiah who would come from this same nation to deliver us from our slavery to sin? Did they know this about their son? Probably not. Their faith was probably a simple faith. He was a beautiful child. Their child. Valued by God. He did not deserve to die. No child deserves to die. And this is instructive too for us. It's hard for us to understand the context, but probably the closest for us is abortion in our, in our culture. Does our faith in God and our love for unborn children give us the courage to do something about abortion? And, and to be quite honest with you, I don't even know what we would do. But our government is killing our children. I don't know what to do, but maybe we should start to think more seriously about that. No child deserves to die, and Moses' parents had faith that the action of loving parents was the right thing to do. So they trusted God. And when, when they could no longer hide the ch- child, they put him in a basket and floored them down the river. They didn't know how this was going to end. They didn't know if it was going to be a good outcome. And so in light of this, let's just add to the pattern that we learned from Moses' parents. Faith leads to courage. Courage leads to action. Even when we don't know the outcome. Even when we don't know what will happen. Now there's an additional layer to this text that, that Moses' parents wouldn't have been aware of, but, the, but God inspired Moses to write Genesis and Exodus and the Torah. And so Moses, reflecting perhaps on his own life and the faith of his own parents and, and what God had done previously through previous generations, he uses a word twice in the Torah. It's the only two times that this Hebrew word is used in the entire Bible. And it's the Hebrew word for basket. Moses was put into a basket. That's the English word. But the Hebrew word is used one other time. Noah and his family got into the same thing. Moses was put into an ark and floated down the river. 
So Moses, inspired by the Holy Spirit while he's thinking about this, he's reflecting on his life, and he's thinking about the faith of his parents, and he says that they did for me what God did for Noah when the world was destroyed. And, And though an edict had gone forth from a king in this world to destroy all of the children in the hopes that that would undermine God's chosen people, Moses' parents put him in an ark and floated him down the river, and then he was in God's hands. Just as Noah and his family and the animals were in God's hands. And if you read carefully, you'll see that that both the, the ark of Noah and the ark of Moses was treated with bitumen and pitch. Sealed. Protected. Now, what do we know about the ark and the basket? as Christians. I think this really summarizes what I want to commend to us today as parents. Peter talks about this in his letters. Those were great historical events. And and so we we recognize that these are great historical moments of God's salvation. But God in His sovereignty and His knowledge of His Gospel and how He's going to save a, a people for Himself, He brought forth the ark. He brought forth the basket. And He said, these are but a picture of Jesus Christ. That when Noah and his family got into the ark, it was a picture of us getting into Christ. And though God is going to to ask us to walk through a life filled with chaos, filled with misery, filled with risk and destruction, ultimately wrath and, and judgment... That whoever was in that ark made it through. They, they made it through the destruction of the world. So as bad as it got, they, they, they made it. Same, same with Moses. Moses' mom didn't know what was going to happen to her son when she put him in the basket, though she sent Moses' sister to watch, to make sure, maybe even to, to push the basket into the right place so that the right woman at the right time would pick it up. We don't know. The Bible's not exactly clear about that. But Moses, reflecting on it, said, when I was placed in that basket, I was as safe in the hand of God as Noah and his family and the animals were in the ark. And God brought me through the waters that destroy most everyone else. Because you'll remember from Exodus 1 that the male children were killed by being thrown into the Nile. So the Nile was killing the male children. Moses floated through those waters of death into life. So what's the implication for us as parents? At whatever stage, whether you have your own children or not, when we want to raise up a generation in the church, what what is being commended to us by the writer of Hebrews? Our task. And it's, it's simple, but simple to understand. Very heart-wrenching and difficult to, to f- undertake. But our task as parents, as grandparents, is to do everything that we can do. Everything humanly possible. And then when we come to the end of what we can do, to just rest in God by faith. To, to pray for our children and grandchildren and the children of the church. To, to plead with God with tears to get them into that basket. Get our children into that ark. 
which is to safely put our children in Christ. I know it's a movement of the Holy Spirit that regenerates the heart, and yet we have a job to do. We can't just wash our hands of our responsibility and say, well, God is the one who saves, and so we step back. But what what the writer of Hebrews is saying to us, by faith and love, Moses' parents put him in a basket after hiding him for three months and entrusted him to God. That's what we do as parents. Do everything that we can do to put our children in Christ and then float them down the river of this life in God's hands. That's it. Are we doing that? Mothers, on the days when, when you want to pull your hair out and just leave your children in the house and go far away, Fathers, when you are more concerned seeking your own pleasure than discipling your kids, would you please remember the most important thing in your life? There's no no competition. There's nothing that comes close. The most important thing in your life is to do everything you can to put your child or your children safely in the basket, which is Christ. Everything else is secondary. For those of you who have come to faith later in life and you're looking back and you're saying, well, I don't know that I did that. It's not too late. You have grown children. You have grandchildren. You have the children of the church. What's done is done. But what is not yet done is still to be done. Do what you can from this day forward and give your past to the redemptive grace of God. What's done is done. And trust that your children to God from the past, knowing that God is sovereign, He is perfect, and He is gracious. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the example of Moses' parents. because of faith in You and love for their child. They had courage which led to action even though they had no idea of the outcome. It may have been that Moses would die on that river, but they would have done the best that they could. But in Your sovereign grace, You chose Moses to be Your deliverer. We don't know what you have in store for our children or our grandchildren. 
And Lord, our children, though they bring us great joy, they also bring us great heartache. Would you encourage us that what we do as parents is supremely important, but also that when we fail, when we come short, we can rest in the fact that you are our Father and you are perfect and you don't fail and you work through our mistakes. Holy Spirit, there are countless countless um, circumstances in the hearts and minds and lives of this congregation. I know that I have not been able to speak directly to each one, but I just ask that by your word and by your spirit, you would. In Christ's name, amen.